Welcome, everyone. You are listening to the LifePoint Christian Church Podcast. Let's get started. Maybe you have heard of Dr. Francis Collins. He served as the director of the Human Genome Project. What's that? The Genome Project uh, was the, or your genome really, is your complete uh, set of, of genes uh, for any organism. Uh, it's all of your DNA. And so he gathered together a team. They spent 10, 15 years mapping out the entire human genome, 3.1 billion letters inside of each of our cells. So obviously, Dr. Collins is a bright guy. Well, back when he was 27, he was working at a hospital in North Carolina doing rounds. Uh, And as he was doing that, he kept coming across Christians who who were dying. And and they would talk about their hope and their faith that they had in Jesus. They'd talk about the confidence they they had that even though they were dying, that they had a peace and and even a joy, and, and they knew where they were going, and they were confident in that, and they would be reunited with loved ones. And growing up as an atheist... This was pretty unnerving to him. One day, uh, one afternoon, there was a, a, a terminal patient who was a Christian, and, and she had talked to him about her faith on several occasions, and she said, Dr. Collins, I've told you all about what I believe, but what do you believe? And he looked at her, and he said, well, I'm not really sure. And then later on in life, he, he talks about this, and he writes in his book, and he says this, Her question made me realize that as an atheist, I had arrived at an answer to the most important issue that we humans ever deal with. Is there a God? And I had arrived there without ever really looking at the evidence. I was supposed to be a scientist. If there's one thing scientists claim they do is to arrive at conclusions based upon evidence. And I had not taken the trouble to do that. So I was determined to search for evidence. And through his journey, through his search, the claims of Jesus became so compelling for him that he ended up becoming a Christian. In other words, there was so much evidence that was out there, he just never knew about all the evidence because he never bothered to take the time to look. Because at the end of the day, Christianity is not about just this, you gotta believe. It's not about take it by faith, whatever it even is. Jesus' disciples didn't follow Jesus because of faith. Jesus' disciples followed Jesus because of what they actually saw, what they actually heard, what they witnessed with their own eyes. And here's how the Apostle John described it in, in one of his little letters later in life. He said this in 1 John chapter 1, verse 1. He said, that which was from the very beginning, which we have heard, somebody say heard, which we have seen, somebody say seen, where we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked on, and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, and we have seen it, and we testify to it. We proclaim to you what we have seen and what we have heard. John was saying something. He was saying that God, in the form of a person, came to earth. And John said, I met him. He was my rabbi. He was my friend. He's my savior. His name is Jesus. And that life, that God life, it appeared and we've seen it and we testify to it and we're proclaiming to you, to others, what we've seen and heard. 
And not only are we talking about what we saw and heard when he was alive, we saw and tell you about what we've seen and heard after he was resurrected from the dead. And we saw him then and we heard him then and we touched him then. But John isn't content to just tell you and I what happened. John wants something to happen for us that happened to him based on his interaction with the Son of God. He says, here's the reason that I wrote this. Here's the reason, because we're in the book of John, and he, at the end of the book of John, he said, here's the reason why I wrote this. Notice what he says, John chapter 20, verse 30, he said, Jesus performed many other signs. Say signs. Key word, that's what we're talking about. That's a series of signs. He performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not even recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Life in his name. You see, throughout the gospel, John talks about this idea of eternal life. And it's clear for John, eternal life is not just something that starts when you die. Eternal life is living this life, knowing there's something beyond this life. John is, no, is living with the assumption that, that if we understand there's something beyond this life, then it literally affects the way we live this life. So John does something for us. He lays out this sequence. It's a sequence that makes sense to him, and it's a sequence that he hopes makes sense for us. And he, he describes these sequence of events that he calls what? He calls signs, right? He calls these events signs. And these signs serve as evidence of something that eventually he would believe in, and eventually he'd take it further and place his trust in. And he's hoping that by sharing with you and I, that sharing these events, these signs, these conversations, uh, that they are ultimately going to convince us as well. Because for John, he understands all of these events, all of these signs, they're pointing to something specific. They're pointing to the identity of something, specifically that Je pointing to the identity of Jesus, that Jesus is indeed the Son of God. Now today we're going to look at the second sign, and we're going to be in John chapter 4. Now, last week, we saw that Jesus uh, was at a wedding, and at the wedding, they ran out of wine, and Jesus' mother comes to him and says, Jesus, you need to fix this, and you need to save this, and Jesus says, hey, mom, I, I didn't come here to save a wedding. I came to save the world, and she just kind of chuckles, laughs it off. He ends up fixing it, saving the, saving the wedding, and, and, and then they move on from there. After that, Jesus and his disciples head to Jerusalem to celebrate Passover. While in Jerusalem, the money changers are in the temple and they are charging insane fees for people who need to convert their, their coin to the temple tax, so, tax so they, uh, the temple coin so they could give you know, an offering to God. And, and they were charging insane fees to, to get the right animal to give a sacrifice to. And Jesus looked at them, he overturned their tables, called them thieves and robbers, and it was terrible and he wreaks havoc upon them. And then John goes on to tell us in John chapter 2, verse 23, he says, while he was there in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, many people saw the signs he was performing, and they believed in his name. They believed in his name. Why? Because seeing is believing. Seeing is believing. 
And then John, uh, in the next chapter, has this famous conversation with Nicodemus, right? And that's where, where uh, Jesus says, you must be born, born again. Nicodemus doesn't, can't really fully wrap his head around that. And then after that, Jesus and his disciples, they head down to the Dead Sea, uh, to the desert, where John is baptizing, and where Jesus and his disciples do some baptizing. And then Jesus makes his way from Galilee, on, on, I mean, from where he was, to Galilee, up to Galilee. And he passes through the region of Samaria. And there in Samaria, he has that famous scene where he meets with the woman at the well. And that's where we pick up the story. John chapter 4, verse 46. It says, once more, Jesus visited Cana in Galilee. And what's that? Well, that's where he turned the water into wine. And there was a certain royal official whose son lay sick at Capernaum. So the, the first sign was a joyous occasion. It's a wedding. The second sign is, is a heartbreaking occasion. And what we need to understand about Jesus is he's in both. Jesus is in our joys and he's in our heartaches all the same. Let me give you a couple details to point out in this story. First of all, it says the royal official lived in Capernaum. That's where his son was sick. Capernaum is a, you know, 8, 10, 12-hour walk from Cana where Jesus currently is. Secondly, since he is a royal official, it means that he's a Jewish aristocrat. It means he's wealthy, which means he probably didn't walk 8, 10, 12 hours. He probably had a chariot or, or, or rode a horse, depending on how many people he had with him. And because he's an aristocrat, that means he's likely a Sadducee. Now, there's two important groups of people in, in Israel at this time. You, you've probably heard of one of them. It's the Pharisees, right? And, and then also the Sadducees. The Pharisees, they're, they're the super religious group. They kept the law of God meticulously. They believed that God was involved in the details of our lives, and they believed in the afterlife, that there was an eternal life, that there was a resurrection of the dead. The Sadducees were different. They were the intellectual type. They were the, the extremely wealthy. They were deterministic, and they weren't sure about the afterlife. So they were deterministic. What did that mean? They, they thought it meant that we were here for God's pleasure and that everything is already determined. Your health, it's already determined. How many kids you have, if you have kids, if you're married, who you're married to, how much money you have, where you fall in society, where you rank among your friends, all of it's determined, all of it is set. And part of that is you didn't ask God for anything because why would you do that? Everything's just going to happen as it's going to happen. Fate dictates everything. But on this occasion... This wealthy, intellectual aristocrat who, who believes in fate, all of that conviction, it gets brushed aside. Why? Because now he's just a desperate father. And I find it interesting that when people go, and maybe us as well, when we go through something that's big, that's heavy, that's a burden, that weighs on us, that's difficult, that's challenging, that people will often toss out the window their deeply held beliefs. They'll toss out whether they're, they're intellect, if you will. They'll toss out the door of their pride, all their issues. In our desperation, we find that, hey, I'm open to anything. And on this day, a wealthy intellectual elite is simply a scared father, worried that his son is going to die. 
The next verse, John chapter 4, verse 47, it says, when this man, the wealthy official, heard that Jesus had arrived in Cana from Galilee, he went to him and begged him to come and heal his son who was close to death. Notice, he didn't send his servants. He went himself. Maybe his wife told him to go. You need to go find that Jesus. We've heard about him. We don't know how it happened, but here's the challenge that he had to deal with. What if I leave and my son dies while I'm gone? I've sat with enough of you and and gone through even in my own life when a loved one is about to die. And most people, a lot of us, where do you want to be when they're in that situation? You want to be right by their side. The rest of the world stops. And I've been there. Some of you have been there. So can you imagine this guy thinking to himself, I'm going to take this long trip and the possibility is my son will die while I'm gone. I don't know if I want to do this. So he goes through all of this, but he does leave, and he goes, and he shows up. Scripture says he begged. That word literally means that he was pleading with Jesus over and over and over and over again. This wasn't just like a one-time, hey, Jesus, my son's a little sick. Can you maybe come and help me out? What do you say? No, no, no. He's begging Jesus. He's pleading with Jesus. In other words, forget my dignity. Forget my position in society. Forget my theology. Forget my worldview. My son is dying. Jesus, if you can help me, if you can do anything, you got to come. Come see my son. Some of you have been there, right? You've been in those moments where you've prayed, and you've prayed in desperation. Maybe you prayed this way before you knew Jesus as Lord and Savior. Some of you aren't even there yet, and you've prayed, God, if you're there. I need your help and I need it now. What Jesus says next can seem a little insensitive, but it's only because some of our English translations. And John, it says in John chapter four, verse 48, it says, he, his response, hey, come help me. And Jesus says, unless you see signs and wonders, Jesus told them, you will not believe. Now that word you in Greek is actually the second person plural, which means it's better translated as you people, which some translations do. So Jesus is actually, in his response, this man asks a question, but Jesus now turns and responds to everyone present, present, and he says, hey, I understand. There's no way that all of you are going to believe in me. There's no way you're going to accept me unless I do something that convinces you. Why? Because seeing is believing. Seeing is believing. Jesus is like, I'm not simply asking you to have faith in faith. I'm not asking you to have faith in some preacher who who uses fancy stories and and, and complex words. And Jesus decides, if I'm going to do a wonder, I might as well do something that's so wonderful that people talk about. The man doesn't give up. In verse 49, the royal official said, Sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus, I understand. I know the way society works. I know I'm here in society and you're like just some traveling rabbi. You're down here. I understand that. I understand that I'm high born. I understand that I'm above you. But in this moment, I'm beneath you. I'm placing myself under your authority. I know that those who are with me right now, they're embarrassed by what I'm doing, that I'm coming essentially groveling before you. But Jesus, I'm desperate, and I need you. Here's a man who set aside his ordinary motto of life. What's going to happen is going to happen. What it is, it is. He sets that aside out of desperation for his son. 
But even more than that, perhaps we see in this story a, a, um, a glimmer of faith. Perhaps in this story we see a glimmer of confidence that he has in Jesus because he's thinking, if I can get this rabbi to my bedside, to my son's bedside, perhaps he will live. My son will be fine. Now why does he have that kind of glimmer of faith, that glimmer of hope? Why does he have that glimmer of confidence? Why did he make the trip? Why did he risk leaving his son knowing very likely he could die when he was gone? Why did he abandon his deterministic theology? It's simple. And this is so important for you and I as well. It's the stories. It's the rumors. It's the stories he's heard about this person, Jesus, people claiming to be the Messiah, the Savior. In his mind, he has two options. Jesus comes with me and my son gets healed if the stories, if the rumors are true that I've heard, or he doesn't come with me and my son dies. But Jesus chuckles and says, I have a third option for you. How about I don't come with you and your son still lives? It wasn't in his frame of reference. See, Jesus asked him to do something that Jesus has been asking people to do ever since. Jesus asked him to trust the testimony of the eyewitnesses, to trust the testimony of other people. All the stories that you've heard about me, he's basically telling this royal official, all those stories you've heard about me, I want you to trust those testimonies. So Jesus says, verse 50, go, Jesus replied. In fact, that word go carries with it the idea of just kind of go about your business. Take your time. There's no hurry. Don't worry. Stop at the grocery store. You know, you, 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 take your time. That's that word go. This isn't like some immediate hurry up and hustle up. This is just as you go about your business. Go, your son will live. Wait, wait, wait. He's thinking to himself, Jesus, you want me to go home without you? My wife sent me here to come get you. You want me to go home without you? If my wife sees me show up by myself, there might be two people dead in our family, right? He's thinking, I had two options in my mind. Jesus comes, and there's a chance my son lives. He doesn't come. There's definitely not living. I never thought there would be this idea that Jesus doesn't come, and my son lives. I wonder if he's looking at his, his entourage, his bodyguards, and he's looking at them saying, hey, maybe we should take Jesus by force and make him come with us. My son's life is at risk, and Jesus tells me, just chill, go do a little shopping, take your time getting back home. You see, this story is brilliant. This story is brilliant because this story is is your lifetime and my lifetime condensed into a day. We're asked to take Jesus at his word based on the word of other people. In other words, we walk by faith, not because of faith, but we walk by faith. You and I, We've been asked to entrust our lives to Jesus, our health to Jesus, our future to Jesus, our finances to Jesus, our children to to Jesus, our healthy children and our sick children, all based on the people who knew him, who saw him, who witnessed, who observed, and they knew with absolute certainty who he was. So we, you and I, we walk through this life by faith. 
Now, Jesus said something. Jesus said, in this world, some of you might know this, he said, in this world, you will have what? Trouble, tribulation. In this world, you'll have trouble. He says, the rain will fall on the just and the unjust. There are times when God's going to do the miraculous, and he's going to step in, and he's going to move powerfully. But it also means when you and I walk by faith, it means we live with challenges just like anybody else. That there's be sicknesses that won't be healed. There are going to be financial situations that don't turn around. There's going to be kids who don't come home. There's going to be parents who act like children. We're going to have unanswered prayer, and it doesn't seem like, at least the way we want it, it doesn't seem like God is paying attention. We carry heavy burdens. We carry that which is painful and difficult and huge, and yet walking by faith means like those, those individuals in the hospital that Dr. Collins talked with, that you and I can still have something that, that the world doesn't understand outside of Jesus Christ. We can have a peace that transcends all of our ability to comprehend it or understand it, that you and I can have a joy in the Lord no matter what our circumstances are, that you and I can have a confidence in our lives, not in ourselves, but in a confidence confidence in he who is greater, he who is greater in me is greater than he is in the world. And we have that confidence. And so we can continue to serve faithfully and to listen to God faithfully and to give faithfully and to be faithful. And we continue in that, even though every once in a while you and I are tempted to think, where's God? God, where are you right now? And yet you remain faithful. This story is our story our lifetime condensed in a day. Why? Because we take Jesus at his word based on the testimony of others who are eyewitnesses to what they saw and heard in Jesus. So picture this. You have this royal official. He's totally taken back by Jesus' response. He has publicly humiliated himself by begging. And even worse, he didn't get what he came for. He's thinking, Jesus, come with me or not. Doesn't co- comes with me, I got a chance, doesn't come with me. My son dies, Jesus throws out a wrench in this, says, no, 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 I'm, not, I'm staying here, but go, your son's gonna live. So he has a decision to make. What does he do next? What's his next move? It's the same next move that people have been making for 2,000 years. It's the same move that changes the trajectory of lives. He decided to believe Jesus and to live his life as if what Jesus said was true, even even though there was no evidence that he has yet seen himself. I want you to catch that. He decided to believe Jesus, to trust his word as if they are true, even though he has yet to personally see the evidence. Verse 50, the man took Jesus at his word. The man believed what Jesus said. And so he departed. In other words, he behaved as if what Jesus said could be trusted. He walked home by faith and not by sight. You've heard that phrase before, right? Walk by faith, not by sight. It's how many of us have been walking for years. Again, it's our lifetime condensed into one story, into one day. Verse 51. While, he's still al- while he was still on the way, He's wondering what's going to happen when he gets home, of course. His servants met him with the news that his boy was living. 
So he's, he's blown away by this news. My son, he's living. And remembering his encounter with Jesus, verse 52, he inquired as to the time when his son got better, and they said, yesterday at one in the afternoon, the fever left him. Real pause real quick. Yesterday at one in the afternoon, what did Jesus tell him to do? He told him to what? What was the word? Go. What, what, what does that word mean? Just go about your business. One in the afternoon. He didn't hustle home. He actually took Jesus at his word. Did a little shopping here and there. It was maybe difficult for him, but he's trying to trust Jesus. The next day, yesterday at one in the afternoon, the fever left him. Chills run down his spine. Tears fill his eyes. He looks back to Cana. Verse 53, because the father realized that was the exact time at which Jesus had to said to him, your son will live. Remarkable. But imagine this, the story's not done. He gets home, and his wife says, something miraculous has happened, and he just walks in, kind of all chill. And she's surprised, like, like she's just like, hey, that didn't seem to grab your attention. You don't look surprised. Oh, where's the rabbi? And he says, I need you to sit down. I have something to tell you. Verse 53. He ends up telling her the story. Verse 53. So he and his whole household believed. Yes, yes, yes. Seeing is believing. But this man believed before he saw, based on the testimony of others. Before he had the evidence himself, but now he has seen himself with his own eyes the power of Jesus, the power of the signs of Jesus, that Jesus is is indeed the Savior of the world. But he believed before he saw the evidence, because he believed based on the testimony of others who saw the evidence. Last verse, John chapter 4, verse 54. This was the second sign. Somebody say sign. Again, this is big for John, the word sign. You and I might call it a miracle, no problem, but John is using the word sign that Jesus performed after coming from Judea to Galilee. Because again, for John, understands that these signs, they're pointing to something. They're pointing to someone. So I want us to go back to that phrase that I mentioned, walking by faith. Walking by faith is not walking by hope. It's not walking by wishful thinking. What does it mean to walk by faith? It's what we just read. Walking by faith is living every single day of your life as if if Jesus is who he claimed to be Because we believe the eyewitness testimony of those who heard and those who saw, they saw who he was and they recognized who indeed Jesus was, the Savior of the world. Walking by faith is you and I living every single day of our lives as if Jesus' words are true. Living our life as if God really is our heavenly father. Why? Because Jesus said, when you pray, you go to God as your father and you address him as father. To walk by faith, to live by faith, is to really live as if your sins are forgiven. 
that God doesn't hold it against you, that you don't have to pay God back. That's not how it works for God. It's not this scale that's balanced. You do your part and God does, and that's not how it works. You and I believe what Jesus taught and what he demonstrated when he died on a cross for our sins so that we could live. It's to live as if you are truly unconditionally loved, not because of what you've done, but because of what he's done. Walking by faith is clinging to and knowing that you and I embrace a new kind of love. It's the as I have loved you type love. You know what that is, right? Jesus said, he washes his disciples' feet, uh, humbles himself as a servant. He says, as I have loved you, now you go love other people this way. And when you and I walk in that type of love and live our lives in that way, that's the type of love that changes relationships changes marriages, changes cities and communities and countries and the world. To walk by faith is to live with the confidence that your faith, your sacrifice, your commitment, your service, your generosity, none of that is in vain because it is anchored to something that is real, to someone who is real. At the end of John's account, and we're going to be in John chapter 20 in a moment, Jesus was crucified. He rose from the dead. His disciples had scattered in fear, but now they are back with Jesus. Jesus knows the reason that they came back to faith was because after they saw him dead, they saw him alive. And so they now know the tomb was empty. He's alive. I've had conversations with him. I've touched him. I've seen him after he was dead, and now he's alive. And John makes this amazing statement that's, that's really for you and me. And he says this, John chapter 20, verse 29. He says, because you have seen, Jesus said this to his disciples, because you have seen me, you have believed. Of course, because seeing is believing. They saw it. They saw him dead. Dead, buried in a tomb, three days, came back alive a resurrected Savior. Of course they believe. Seeing is believing. But blessed are those who have not yet seen and yet have believed. See, he's saying something to you and I. Blessed are those in the future, us, who will believe based on the disciples' testimony, based on what you disciples have seen and heard, Based on you sharing that, blessed are those who believe that testimony of eyewitnesses. And I look at that, and Jesus is saying to you and I right then, blessed are you, because you chose to believe based on those eyewitnesses. And I look at that and go, Jesus, that's incredible. It's brilliant. But the biggest thing for John, he just, he's not interested in you just knowing about what happened. It's bigger than that, and that's why he says in John 20, verse 31, these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, it makes another step. By believing, by placing your trust in him, that you may have life in his name. Just as the reason I chose these particular events, these particular conversations, these particular signs, I could have talked about a ton that I couldn't even include. But the reason I included these is because he says, I'm hoping that you, us, the world, that you'll respond to those events, those signs the same way I did. 
and come to recognize that Jesus is indeed the Messiah, the Son of God. And if you surrender your life to him and you trust him with your life, that you would have life in his name. Some of us stand here today knowing we have that confidence. We have that faith. And we have life in his name. But there might be some of you here, you don't have that confidence. And maybe right now, this moment, today is your day to join the family of God, to, 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 to join God's family, a family that God has, has been inviting people to join for thousands of years. And the way you get there is through Jesus. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Do you want to be saved? You want to have those sins forgiven so you can be saved? You want to know with absolute certainty where you're going to go when you die? I invite you to pray with me now. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Almighty God, as we come before you in this moment, God, your Holy Spirit is reaching out to people, calling out. You stand at the door and knock. And if we would invite you in, you will come into our life. You will dine with us. If you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior and you're ready, you're ready to have your sins forgiven, to have the hope of heaven, to join the family of God. If that's you, will you pray with me right now? And if you're a Christ follower, you can, we just repray this our whole life. You can join in. But some of you, this will be the first time you pray this. It's not the exact words. It's more that you would mean it in your heart. So say something like this. Say, Jesus, thank you. Thank you for loving me so much that you would choose to sacrifice yourself in my place. You would choose to die so I could live. So Jesus, as best as I understand right now, I give my life to you. I surrender to you. I ask you to be my Lord and my Savior. Thank you for forgiving me of my sins. Thank you for giving me the gift of eternal life. Thank you for welcoming me into your family. Now, God, I choose to walk forward with the rest of your family, walking by faith and not by sight. Thank you, God, for this new life. In Jesus' name, I pray. God, as we have poured that out to you, some of us for the thousandth time and some of us, God, for the first time, would you, God, glorify yourself through our lives as we walk in faith? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed today's message. You can learn more about us by visiting us online at lifepoint.org. If you are ever in the Sacramento area, we would love to see you in person. Events and service times can be found on our website. Thank you for listening, and we hope you join us for our next episode.